What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode three of Fear Frequency. We have another extremely packed show, and I am your host, Jimmy Champagne. And with me today is my co-host, George Frizzard. Hey, guys. How's it going, dude? Good. What's up? Not a lot. So I listened back to episode two and got to say, I really couldn't even tell that we weren't in the same state. No, you did a good job of uh, chopping it up to make it sound uh, like a real conversation between two people sitting at the same table. Yeah, we got we got some good comments on it. I got a few DMs from fans and friends that are all positive, so that's nice. We have three five-star reviews on iTunes now, which is great. We have three. Do three? you have them up? Do you want to read them? I didn't know uh, that. I thought we had one. Yeah, let me just pull it up in my podcast attic. Okay, app. so while you're doing that, I will I'll do this housekeeping stuff that I had planned. So basically, guys, we finally are on YouTube. Episodes 1 and 2 are on YouTube. They're on my channel, youtube.com/jimmychampagne, and I guess people like watching it there because it's doing really well. So if you want to listen to the show on YouTube, you can go there. And also, uh, we released those episodes at a weird time, just like whenever they were ready to go up, we put them up. From now on, starting with this episode that you're listening to right now, they will be up on Tuesday at the same time as everything else. Uh, there's no video portion or anything. I really don't do anything other than just put an image there. But I put in the description like time codes that you can click. So if you just want to hear one segment, that's the best way to do it. So that's the housekeeping on that. Do you have our reviews pulled up? Yeah, I got them right here. Cool. So the first one is from Dude, It's Jeremy. Five stars. Okay. He says, the title is Great Show. Anyone can enjoy. And the review is, I love their love for horror. These guys know their stuff, and it's great to hear them chat about the past, present, and future of horror. Awesome job. Can't wait for more. Cool. Thanks a lot, Jeremy. That's a really nice review. Yeah, that was very nice. Second one is from Luke Jaggers. He says, just wonderful. I've been wanting a new horror podcast that covers movies I've actually seen or movies that are coming out soon. There are tons of horror podcasts that talk about old movies that I have no access to watch, so I love that this podcast covers mostly new stuff. Great hosts and great topics. Def a must-listen for horror fans. Wow, that is in-depth and very nice. Thank you, yes. Luke. You are Thank the you, man. Luke. And, and a third you and can final. read the other one, even though we tweeted it already. Yeah, but, it's still you know, positive. give Papa Drew another, uh, another shout-out. So Papa Drew Bear says, a rad new podcast. I'm not the big horror guy, but I really love hearing these guys talk about the genre. Those are good reviews, though. That's yeah. uh, our, our constant push to actually review us on iTunes is working, it seems. So that's good. Okay, so let's move on to segment one of the show, which is news. We have a ton of stuff, and a lot of it has to do with John Carpenter. Yeah, uh, it's cool to see him, uh, you know, coming out and saying some nice things about the new Halloween movie. Yeah, so he is doing a bunch like a round of interviews right now because he's on going or going on tour for his new album. But of course, everyone's just asking him about the Halloween movie that comes out next <laughs> year, which he is the executive producer of. And he's like he's giving a lot of answers, which is good. He's he's revealing a lot of stuff. So I don't know how Blumhouse feels about that. But uh, the first interview I have, I picked out segments or like little snippets. So with the Guardian, uh, he was asked if he missed his low budget days of dark star and Halloween. And he says, no, I don't miss working. Working is hard because you have to get up in the morning. I did a music video for the single from our new album, Christine. I had to work all night and by God, I forgot how rough that is. Stay up all night. Wow. And then <laughs> the second one was, uh, he's spoken about how contemporary filmmakers give up creative control and the final cut too easily. 
And the guy asked uh, if he wanted to be starting out now rather than when he did. And he said, it was such a different time back then, and the kind of movies were different. I started when you could actually make an exploitation film, a low-budget exploitation movie, and get it into theaters. Nowadays, it's ridiculously expensive. Could I succeed if I started today? Probably not. I'd be be rejected. (laughs) <laughs> which is actually probably true like i don't i don't know man i don't think you could make a lot of the stuff he did like it's all very nuanced and like low yeah it's weird that you know he makes these like halloween being like one of the most you know popular and successful independent movies ever made it's weird that he was able to get so much control over that movie and i feel like that's not really something that a new filmmaker could do yeah, I know that's uh, Blumhouse's thing is they give filmmakers like five million dollars and then a lot of creative control, but still that's a little that's a lot different than what John Carpenter was doing back in the day. But it seems like the most modern way that can happen. You know, like got to make some concessions, but right. right now I feel like Blumhouse is the one, the company that's bringing it, like putting these low budget movies in theaters. Yeah, and they really crank them out. They really are willing to let you know new directors who just have a good idea just create a movie and it for the most part they turn out pretty good yeah and like when they started out i'd say there was more like mediocre or bad films than good but now it's like rare that we get a bad movie from blumhouse which is kind of crazy so uh the next uh news story we have is also from about john carpenter so in another interview He was asked about uh, the new movie and whether or not he was involved in getting Jamie Lee Curtis on board because famously she was not too pleased about how H21 and was kind of done with the franchise after that. Mm -hmm. And he responded uh, that, no, he did not have any involvement. And then he went on to talk about the actual movie and he said, it's kind of, I don't know how to describe it. It's almost an alternate reality. And he says, it picks up after the first one, and it pretends that none of the others were made. It's going to be fun. There's a really talented director, and it was well-written. He's impressed. So the big thing there is that when they announced this movie from David Gordon Green and Danny McBride, they said that Halloween 1 and 2 were canon. But this statement makes it seem like Halloween 2 is also gone now. Yeah, and I kind of understand why they would cut 2 and just have the first one because i mean even though two is a great sequel i think that it introduces some things that don't really that kind of lead to the series getting bad later like i don't know if they're going to continue with the whole like jamie lee curtis is related to michael myers arc and that's introduced in the second movie and i'm thinking maybe they wanted to cut that out and that's why they excluded the second movie that's like literally the only thing i could think of as to why they would cut it, which is good, because like, I think that's kind of stupid. Yeah. Like, I, he kills his sister at the beginning, so... Right. It, it's weird to try to add that, you know, bloodline thing to the movies, and that really muddies the whole plot in the later movies completely, with, like, the Thorn trilogy and all that. And I think mm-hmm. to just kind of ignore all that and to cut all that out and just kind of keep him this mysterious figure that is just bent on killing is probably a better way to take the new movie yeah because i recently rewatched hush and i think that's a big reason of why that movie works because the killer in that also just has no motivation i thought that was pretty cool and then also like you knew four and five weren't going to be canon you knew six wasn't because everyone hates that one uh h20 
some people like it. I actually know a lot of people like it, but that one probably you could think like maybe would be canon, but at the end of the day, it's like that could have been like the Clone Wars. You know how when they cut everything in the Star Wars universe, like but kept Clone Wars because it kind of worked. That right. could have been H twenty, but I'm kind of glad that one's gone. Right, especially uh, with Jamie Lee Curtis coming back too. It's yeah, like, you know maybe you could do like one H twenty and then this new one, but right. And then H twenty, so H twenty. The way reason people besides this know it's like for sure gone is because she has a daughter played by Judy Greer in this movie in this new one that's coming out. So that kind of gets rid of the whole thing uh, where, you know, she had a son. Yeah. And then, like, Resurrection, no one wants that in there. No. Just keep uh, Tyra Banks and Busta Rhymes out of that. So, uh, yeah, but, like, uh, so Judy Greer is playing her daughter. So when they, when that, you know, that picture came out with Jamie Lee Curtis in the original outfit Mm -hmm. on the porch in Haddonfield, and I was like, Ugh, are they gonna like de-age her and make this Halloween too? Because it could they could have done that, you know, pretty easily. She's kept her figure, like she looks exactly the same except for the Activia haircut. Right. But like that would have been bad and stupid. And then they said that like Judy Greer is playing her daughter, so I was like, there's there's no way because that like Judy Greer isn't young, you know. Yeah, and I think that's definitely a better way to take it than to de-age uh, <laughs> to de-age her and try to make it a continuation of that same night. Yeah, like. We all saw Rogue One, you know, they did that stuff. And, right. like, that's a Star Wars movie. And granted, it had a lower budget than, uh, you know, like, The Force Awakens or The Last Jedi. But still, it's a Disney-backed movie. And right. that still did not look great. Right. So, I, I like what they're doing with this. And then, uh, I guess we have one more Carpenter story. And that's that he is scoring Halloween 2018. Yeah. Uh, we all know that he still has the musical chops with his uh, latest album that he released and his uh, recent Christine music video. Dude, that was really good. That was really cool. <laughs> I really like that. And yeah, like, uh, the, so the first two albums were reworkings of like, it was called Lost Themes 1 and 2. And it was like reworkings of like old music that he had and some original stuff. Well, all original stuff, some new stuff. And then this new one is kind of modern reworkings of movie themes. And so he did a Christine music video, uh, which was a Stephen King adaptation. And that was really good. So, I mean, like, I'm the more involved he gets in this new Halloween movie, the better I think it's going to be. Right. I think that the score is really something that a lot of the sequels really missed out on. And, I mean, the, the original Halloween, you know, theme song is so iconic that if he can create something even half as good as that, I think this new movie is going to have a pretty kick-ass soundtrack. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't see how he can mess it up. But uh, speaking of Halloween, so Nine Inch Nails, which is Trent Reznor, and I think Atticus Ross is his name, they released, like, a remix, a a six-and-a-half-minute remix of the Halloween theme. And it's really good, but, like, the first four minutes of it are – it's all stuff you've heard before. Like, it's not that much different. But then around the six-minute mark, I would say, the beat kicks in, and it's pretty dope. Yeah, I really like it. I wasn't sure how I'd feel about anyone kind of touching the Halloween theme, but I think that it actually does a good job, and it sounds really cool and unique. Yeah, so you can find that on YouTube. It's on Spotify, too. Uh, That's, like, everywhere. So I definitely recommend checking that out. And then with that, we're done with our Halloween news. As sad as that is. Yeah, right. You know, it's not like we had a ton or anything. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, you want to handle the next one? Uh, Sure. So... As we all know, Happy Death Day just came out on Friday, and it has been making a ton of money. It made $26.5 million on its opening weekend. 
and that's that's a lot of money that's a lot <laughs> for of money a movie <laughs> that is like pretty low budget i would guess five million because it's blumhouse right and so this like this is definitely a movie i would have seen in like high school or you know even college and i'm actually going to see it after we're done recording but uh i thought it was cool that 63 percent of the people who bought tickets were under 25 so like they're hitting that you know that core demographic of high school and college age kids but it's a good movie which is different than what we got when we were kids. Right. <laughs> we got, they would bring us into the movie and then it would just be really shitty, but we would buy it yeah. and then they would keep making sequels because they made so much money the first time. Yeah. So, you know, like kids are pretty lucky that they got this dope movie to latch on to. Uh, it looks pretty cool. I've heard that it's basically a thriller comedy rather than a straight up slasher. Yeah. I've heard uh, pretty similar things, but. I, I do want to see it. I think that the premise seems kind of interesting, and um, I'm curious to see what you think about it after you see it. Yeah, I'm going to go check that out tonight. So we'll probably talk about it next week if we both get a chance to see it. But mm-hmm. uh, it's good It's good that something that's classified as horror in the like press is making that much money because it's just showing that like everything else is not making money this year, but horror movies are. So that's, that's good. Right. It's good for the, the genre to get a good shot in the arm with all this money coming in right and then so uh as we all know friday was friday the 13th in october which is like crazy spooky but uh a bunch of people got nostalgic and the guys who were gonna make the sequel to the really good and really underrated 2009 friday the 13th they released the like first page of the script that showed the title on twitter and it's called friday the 13th camp blood the death of Jason Voorhees. <laughs> and I mean, I really like 2009, but this one was going to be found footage. I heard a, which is stupid. And then be like, you just bring him back with a really good movie and you're just going to kill him off. Like that seems kind of stupid to me. Uh, I, I mean, my only consolation for why the title might not be indicative of how the movie is is the one of the other best jason movies is friday the 13th the final chapter which is part four mm-hmm. and that's that was supposed to be the you know the final death of the character and that's actually really good so i don't know if they're just trying to invoke the same themes as the fourth which i think is most people's favorite one and kind yeah, of name it something sense. like this or if they're actually going to try to come back and then just end it completely <laughs> Yeah, so we all know this never happened, which kind of sucks. Like, the Friday the 13th franchise is in limbo right now. They were going to do a CW show that introduced, like, Jason's dad and stuff, and the pilot was apparently so bad that it got canceled before it even started. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm glad that didn't happen. But, uh, I mean, they're going to come back after It. You know, like, It's going to do well, and then Warner Brothers is going to bring back Nightmare on Elm Street, and that'll probably do decent and then you know like paramount's not going to leave money on the table so we'll get another friday the 13th and we'll have like another reboot remake resurgence like we had in 2009 era yeah except hopefully this round is better than the last because really the only memorable uh, horror remakes from that time are the friday the 13th and evil dead yep pretty much evil dead is like in a different league than those other ones yeah, it's the Evil Dead remake good. was actually really cool and interesting and went a different path than the original and tried to be its own movie, which I guess no one really appreciated because I don't think it made that much money, but I, I really do yeah. like that movie. It made enough to like maybe get a sequel, but then the reboots 
got every other reboot got such bad reviews that they kind of just left it. They're just like, nah, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> and now we have Ash versus Evil Dead. So yeah. Uh, I was gonna put. I forgot to put this story in the doc, but I know it, so I'll just go into that. Speaking of Ash versus Evil Dead, so that show we talked about this last week. Remember where uh, the like rumor was that it was gonna be the final season, probably because ratings weren't that high. Mm-hmm. But if it does well, then it won't be the final season. And I guess besides Game of Thrones, uh, Ash versus Evil Dead is the most pirated show, which is a big part of it. Uh, I mean. It's not good because the show doesn't make any money off of that, obviously. But, I mean, a lot of people are watching it, so maybe that has some sway on what happens. I think that maybe they'll just focus on making more things around the show that you can't tour it, like merchandise or something like that, where people have to actually spend money to get physical things instead of being able to just download the show. Right. And then I see, so the big thing I see online is that a lot of people were like begging for this show to happen as a movie or a show or whatever, but then they're the ones turning around and torrenting it. So if you're listening to the show and you're torrenting the show, (laughs) or if you're listening to our show and you're torrenting Ash vs. Evil Dead, like again, like we said with Cult of Chucky, stop fucking doing that because we're not going to get any more of the show. Like you're actively killing it. Right, and it's really, the seasons aren't that expensive. I bought season one pretty much right around the time it came out at Target. I think it was 20 bucks for the first season, yeah. which is like at least, I think it's about 10 episodes, so you're paying like two bucks an episode, really. Yeah, I th- I got it, I got season one on Blu-ray for 10 at Best Buy, like a couple months after it was out, and then season two I got on Blu-ray for I think like 20 also. They're cheap, like for a season of TV that's cheap. Yeah, normally a season of TV runs you like 40, 50 bucks. These are cheap, and they're really good. And if if you don't want to subscribe to Stars, I think is the the network. Yeah, Stars. That this is yep. on. Uh, if, yeah, if you don't want to subscribe to Stars, just go out and buy the Blu-rays. They're great. They have a bunch of extra features, and they look great. And it's a great way to support the show, even if you don't want to subscribe to Stars. Yeah, and if you want to catch up and you haven't done this already, you can get a seven-day trial of Stars through Amazon Prime. And if you like let it lapse, it'll be five bucks a month. But then, if you want to binge the first two seasons, like get that trial, binge the first two seasons, and then if you like it, uh, cancel your subscription and then re-up it when uh, the show comes back in February. Then you can right. watch it every week on Amazon Prime whenever you want. And five bucks a month is not that much money for all the stuff you get from uh, that channel. No, I think that's a great deal and probably the best way for a lot of people to watch it. Yeah, so we won't wax poetic on pirating anymore but yeah ash versus evil dead we've got to save the show um so then the next thing we got on here is that the final stranger things 2 trailer dropped and you just watched it today right yeah i'm not sure how i feel about this season i think it looks like it'll be not as good as the first season dude there's a fucking lot of cgi in that trailer that does not look good yeah that seems like the re- the real strong point of the first season was having all the dynamic of like all the kids hanging out and getting to know each other and living the nostalgia of the time and the the real world of like you know the adults interacting and the kids interacting in this kind of cool world and this seems like it's going more into the darker half with just all CGI and I You'd assume that this show would have a huge budget and would be able to look decent, but if the trailer's any, uh, in, you know, any indicator, it does not look 
like it's really getting the attention it needs yeah and so they edited this trailer like a movie trailer which i thought was kind of weird uh and i was like oh they're so, they're showing so much like why are they showing so much and then i right. realized like it's a tv show so they're probably not showing anything right <laughs> but still like that giant spider monster does not look good at all and like the more the more time they spend in the upside down i think the worse off the show is going to be overall because like that was the weakest part of season one also is just how crappy that looked i mean Mm -hmm. in my opinion and but the one thing i did like is that my boy steve is back with his bat (laughs) i mean steve is a great character i i'm a huge fan of steve and i just want to see him on screen in this season as much as possible I mean, yeah, I mean, he's got a lot of screen time in the trailer, so hopefully they're not just showing every one of his scenes. And then also they had the new character, Max, who's like this redhead chick who hangs out with them. Uh, So that's cool that they're adding in another character to the Hawkins AV Club. Yeah, I feel like uh, they really just wanted to capitalize on it coming out and having a redheaded girl in the group to hang out with them. Yeah, so uh, Stranger Things 2 is out in two weeks on October 27th. Yep. So we will check it out then, obviously, which I'm sure everyone listening will. Yeah, I mean, I am excited for it. I don't want to really just think, you know, why have people think that I have like a, a disdain for the show? I, I really like the first season, and I'm, I'm just kind of weary about how good the second one's going to be. Yeah, well, that first trailer for it was fucking dope. Like, the yeah. one thriller was amazing. So yeah, I feel like I was really expecting... Good the same thing you know like something mm-hmm. really good and i understand why they can't top that so I, i'm pretty i'm like i'm pretty hopeful that this or positive that this is going to be good like yeah you know so i mean yeah it has a much more bigger budget than the first season definitely and you know the first season is just very good so i'm pretty sure that this is going to be good yeah and i think with so many people looking forward to it and wanting to watch it they probably put a lot of time and effort into making sure that it's polished as much as possible yeah, so uh, that wraps up segment one. So we're going to take a break real quick, and we're going to come right back with segment two. We have two and a half movies to talk about this time. Okay, so we're back from our break. We're ready for segment two. This is our review segment. So the first movie we're talking about today is Found Footage 3D, which has been making the festival rounds like pretty much everything we talk about. But what makes this unique is that it just released on Shutter. And yes, this movie is actually in 3D. If you have the red and blue glasses, it comes out a little later. But we both watched it in 2D. Yeah. Yeah, on Shutter. And if you don't know, Shutter is like Netflix for horror movies, and they have like majority decent stuff i would say like it's more good than bad there's not really a lot of trash on there and it's five bucks a month so i think we both pay for it yeah i think the best feature of it is their tv mode where you can select a genre of horror movies and it'll just play a loop of horror movies yeah that's That's awesome really cool and really great to just throw on the background if you're doing something else yeah i do that a lot actually because the one thing i tweeted about this a couple weeks ago but the one thing i miss about having cable is i used to just put the tv on while i was doing shit Mm -hmm. and like having netflix doesn't really do the same thing so now i'm you know i throw on shutter tv whenever and i don't even think you need to subscribe to shutter to use shutter tv it is worth the five bucks a month though you'll get your money's worth by paying for it yeah so yeah it is worth the five bucks a month 
but unfortunately, I don't think either of us really liked found footage 3D. We both had our hopes up for this. Yeah, I after seeing the trailer, I was really excited for it, but it did not deliver on what the trailer was showing. Yeah, so quick explanation of what this movie is. It's a found footage movie that's kind of making fun of found footage movies. And their big twist that makes it different than everything else is that it's the first one in 3D. And they even make a joke about why would anyone shoot anything (laughs) in 3D, like any documentary whatsoever. So that was funny. It is a comedy. It's meant to be a comedy. Uh, And it, it it has a very small cast of characters, which is good. They, like, go out into this cabin in Texas to film this found footage movie and wouldn't you know it actually like hauntings start happening to them and things get crazy yeah i think that the all the comedy aspects of the movie work better than any of the horror aspects at all i think that when it is making fun of the genre of found footage a lot of those jokes hit and are funny because they're super meta because they're currently doing whatever they're joking about in the movie yeah. And those kind of come off. Like, I was laughing out loud at some of the jokes that they made about found footage. Yeah. But... Like, the be- the beginning is so good when they're setting up everything and, like, talking yeah. and not, like, doing horror stuff and just, right. like, standing around. Right. It's like, great. Well, they just have the director be, like, you know, just being, like, a huge asshole. And it's like, well, why would anyone film in 3D? I don't know. Uh, he's a 3D enthusiast and he's a documentarian, so he brings one on his vacation. <laughs> Yeah, and then they do these, like, confessional things where they're all talking about the director, and they're like, yeah, he doesn't have an ending. And then, so, like, basically, the guy Derek is the producer, writer, and star. Amy is his actual wife in the movie, and she's the co-star. And the plot of the movie they're making is, like, this couple goes out in the woods to this cabin, and it turns out it's haunted. And then they come out of it stronger than ever to save their failing marriage. And that's exactly what's happening in their real life. (laughs) Right. So it's super meta. In the fact that the plot of the movie that they're making and the plot of the actual movie itself are basically the same. Yeah, and so, like, the guy Derek is just the producer and the star or whatever, but he's the one paying for it. So the guy, Andrew, uh, who's the actual director of the movie, doesn't do shit, and he keeps just getting, (laughs) like, progressively more pissed off throughout the movie. He is pretty good. Uh, There's a really funny part in the very early in the movie where Derek compares his movie to apocalypse now and then his (laughs) wife just starts laughing and she's like really you're comparing yourself to coppola and he's like yeah (laughs) so that was pretty funny uh like the andrew character was really kind of a stand-in for like the general found footage fan where he's basically walking around and whenever they don't follow a rule or do something that's like clearly stupid in the genre he just comes out and he's just so pissed about it he's like why are we doing it this way this is not how it works yeah i don't want to spoil any of the plot points that are really become some of the better jokes in the movie uh like near the end when the uh derek is writing the ending and he does some last minute rewrites that just absolutely would ruin the continuity of the movie completely and, and he's like yeah whatever just do whatever you want i don't care anymore <laughs> they're like we just want to leave yeah it's pretty funny and the, uh one part i really I, so like the the way they reference other horror movies isn't smart it's like you know in found footage movies or a lot of horror movies when they reference horror movies they think they're being smart but then they're really not and you roll your eyes right they they make like an evil dead reference where he's like this is my boomstick oh <laughs> evil dead <laughs> And it's like, oh, yeah, totally. You laugh at it because it's like, you know, they're just 
being jerks and it's funny right and uh they they try and riff on uh cabin fever they meet these two old guys and they're like hey okay so you guys we're gonna ask you for directions on uh where to go to get to this farm and then you're gonna tell us uh don't go there it's scary so then the guys fuck it up and they're like whatever this is good Oh, I almost died. And then they walk away. <laughs> and then the old man's like, oh, you're going to this farm? And they're like, yeah. And he goes, don't go there. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> like, immediately turns around and does the thing they were just trying to get them to do. <laughs> yeah. So, like, th- this is all the first half of the movie, and it's great. But then when they get to the house and the scary stuff actually starts happening, it kind of falls apart because it becomes exactly what they're making fun of. Right. In the movie, they're making a bad movie. And then the movie becomes the bad movie that they're making. And all the humor of it kind of falls away. And it just becomes a bad found footage movie. Yeah, definitely. And so I paused it because I was doing laundry. And I ran downstairs and there was 45 minutes left. And I came back up. The last 45 minutes are where exactly that moment when it falls apart. But I thought it was really weird. So Scott Weinberg, who's like a film critic, he used to write for Fearnet, and he's on Twitter a lot. Like you probably knows who, who he is. He has an alien logo as his Twitter uh, avatar. He's in the movie, and they make a big deal about it, but they don't really use him all that much. And I, I thought that was kind of weird. Yeah, it was strange that they bring him in as kind of a way to boost the popularity of the movie, kind of get some buzz going around it. And then he's really in the movie for, like, maybe two, three minutes. I mean, he's barely in it at all. Right. And and also, uh, when they actually start trying to make this movie of a plot, it gets really talky. But the sound, the sound mixing is terrible. Like, there would be a ghost on screen or whatever, the, the like, entity that is uh, haunting the cabin they're in. It'll be loud as fuck, like, blowing out your speakers. And then people are talking, and then I'm just like, but you can tell they're like they're scared and they're supposed to be yelling but then the volume drops did did you experience this yeah i had the same thing it's really weird especially because they have a dedicated character in this movie that is the sound guy so you'd think that they would have like the sound nailed for a movie like this so it's weird that they messed that up so bad yeah and uh the compression i don't know if it was shutter or what they were shooting on but it looks very compressed. It looks like about 720p, I would say. It gets... I don't know if it's the cameras that they're using or what, but in low light, they really don't look great. In daylight, everything looks really professional, but in some of the low light parts, it gets like really kind of blocky. Yeah, so... I know, I've been looking forward to this for so long that I'm like, I think more disappointed than I should be at how it turned out <laughs> because it's getting a lot of positive buzz. Like, you know, like Bloody Disgusting wrote about it and they don't really write about indie or festival stuff. Like they'll review the movies, but they don't really focus too heavily on them. And they've shared exclusive clips. They've reviewed this. Like they've been pushing this hard. And I so I was excited and I just don't think it turned out good. Like it, it turned out okay. Like a very solid okay take on the found footage genre but i i don't know why they turned it into the movie they're making fun of yeah i think if they would have made it a comedy throughout and they would have kept that tone through the whole thing i I mean i don't know how you do that when you're mixing it with an actual entity i think that that would be kind of a tough juggling act and that's probably why they just said well actually we're just gonna make it like the place is really haunted so we can just kind of switch to that and end the movie because I don't really know how you juggle those two things. Mm-hmm. But I think definitely the comedy is better than the horror aspect. 
Oh yeah, I didn't get scared a single time in this no. movie. Whatsoever. I never had any kind of jump. Uh, they do, I think, like one or two jump scares, and they're really kind of poorly timed and not good. Yeah, exactly. And also, it pulls a lot from Hell House LLC, which we bring. We're gonna bring this movie up every week because we love it, but. <laughs> Some of the stuff in this movie, I don't know if like the release timing or whatever works out, but you know, some of the stuff in this movie is eerily similar to Hell House, but it's done not as well. So I I feel like that put the movie at a disadvantage from the start. Yeah, I think that they kind of borrow heavily from the genre, but not they don't execute well. Basically, they say, we saw this in another movie, so we should be able to do the same thing, but then it doesn't really work that way. Yeah, so I guess at the end of the day, if you have like a group of friends who hate found footage, this one might be a fun one to watch because it is funny, and it'll the jokes will hit with people who don't like found footage. Like They'll land really well because they did for us, and we like found footage, and we laugh. So I'm assuming if you hate found footage, you will like laugh your ass off at this movie. Right. But if you're looking for... like a movie that ends up actually being scary, like the trailer presents it. Uh, don't watch it because you'll probably be pissed, I would say. Yeah, and don't go into it expecting like a legit found footage movie. It is shot in found footage, but it's really not a horror movie in, for, for the most part. Yeah, so that so that's that's I guess that's how we feel about found footage 3D. It sucks that, again, we are so excited for something. I know. And then it turns out not good. It keeps happening. <laughs> we just can't get our hopes up for anything. We're cursed. But <laughs> the next movie we're talking about, I loved. It's my favorite movie of the entire year. And I'm not saying the best movie of the entire year. It's just my favorite. So, and I know you liked it. So we're mm-hmm. talking about Mayhem next. Yeah. And uh, you liked it, right? Yeah, I really liked Mayhem. I thought that... The style of it worked really well. It's very stylized. And it really, the movie's plot plays out like a video game. It's probably the best video game movie I've ever seen. Totally. And so if you don't know, uh, Mayhem is directed by Joe Lynch, who directed Wrong Turn 2. And he's directed a lot of movies. And he's just gotten fucked over a bunch of times with stuff getting over-edited and just not working out for him and like he go he'll make a movie and then he'll have a day job for five years to pay for his next movie <laughs> but this movie is his like th- if this is not his coming out breaking out movie i don't know what will be because it stars steven yoon from the walking dead he played glenn and he's great it stars samara weaving and she's awesome and it's definitely stylized it has a great soundtrack it's edited super well everything about this i didn't dislike a single aspect of this movie so if you haven't heard of it uh, just to give you a basic plot, it's a lot like the Belko experiment, which came out earlier this year. And if you haven't heard of that, basically a bunch of people get trapped in an office building and then the government is like, yo, you have to kill each other or we'll kill more of you. And then the, the goal is to have everyone dead by the end of it. And that one, I don't think really worked because like there's no justification for their killing other than people are telling them to. But this movie, there's a virus going around the US and it makes your moral judgment turn off. For eight hours and uh it gets released in this office building where steven yoon's character Derek cho works and they all have to be in there for eight hours while the vaccine is circulated through the air vents and i think that works a lot better yeah it really gives you a reason it makes you understand why the characters are acting the way they are where it, it sets up the plot where it's a it's like a convenient enough pop, plot point 
that works well enough to where you don't have to worry about, well, why would these normal people just be murdering each other? And it just works for the movie and completely nails it. Yeah, and it does another thing really well where it gives you a lot of backstory, but it makes sense. And it does it in like 10 minutes because Steven Yu narrates this movie in first person. So he's telling you what's happening as it's happening. So they're able to get into the action quick while also setting up the characters to be likable and like characters you care about, like especially uh, Steven Yu's character, Derek, and Samar Weaving's character, Melanie. It just it's so good how they set that up because you don't care about these characters in this law firm because Samara Weaving's character, she she's like going in to meet with them because she wants to get her foreclosure reversed and it doesn't work out. So as she's leaving, that's when the government locks down the building. So she's stuck in there. And of course, Derek is the one who turns her down. But then they end up teaming up to like fight the boss of the company because Derek gets fired wrongfully he's like a fall guy and the setup just works yeah I think that the plot is one of the strongest elements of the movie it really propels you through it in a way where it's like a tiered boss system like a video game where it's like we need to go to this to get the key card to go up to this guy to go up to this guy to finally get up to the final boss of the game of the movie and And he's the literal boss yeah and he's the literal boss like it's just a video game put into the format of a movie it's hyper stylized hyper violent and it's a really really fun watch yeah the fight choreography is amazing like the shot work and everything is just so good and the weapon system is really good like the way they all the way they use different items around the office as weapons is great and there's a lot of humor in it like you and you don't feel that's the difference between this and the Belko experiment really the Belko experiment you kind of feel bad every time you laugh at something because the people are being forced to, you know, kill each other, which is stupid. But in this movie, like, they have no choice. You know, like, if they don't like someone in their office, which, you know, like, we all hate someone at work, (laughs) uh, they're going to fucking beat their ass, you know? Yeah, right. And you can laugh at it. Yeah, and that that definitely really works for the movie. And it really is just really interesting. Everyone who's in it, all the actors are top notch. There's never really one character that's super unbelievable in any way. And everything just kind of works together. The chemistry between Melanie or uh, Samara Weaving and uh, Steven Yoon is just flawless. Like they play really well together and they're a great pair in the movie, which, you know, is good since they're, they are in the movie about 97% of the entire oh, runtime. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the editing is also super on point and the soundtrack is by this guy named Steve Moore, who's like a really good synth artist and it totally works. Yeah, it really helps propel the plot scene to scene to have this like beat, you know, pumping beat music while these fights are going on and you're miking your way through the, the different floors of the building and... It's all. It all looks great. The sets are incredible. It, you believe it as a real office building, and the the inventive ways they find different weapons and the way that they kill each other, and just like the pure chaos of the environment. Like you're following the two characters, but there's so much shit going on around them that's just pure insanity. That it really puts you in the moment of the movie. Yeah, and a lot of it's hilarious. So like they'll be talking on screen you'll be paying attention but then something will be going on in the background and you'd be like wait what like what what the <laughs> fuck is going on back there <laughs> right like, oh my god it's so funny and so we're trying to get joe lynch on the show so i'm only gonna i saw a q a after i saw the movie where he talked about this so i'm only gonna spoil one thing he said and there's a part where people in the background are like having sex and he's like that was in the script 
but those they filmed a movie in uh, I think Serbia, and he said that he walked by and he's like the smell. The smell was very real, and everyone is convinced that those two people were actually having sex in the <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> that is hilarious. So that's the stuff that like goes on in this movie, and it's great. I mean, I don't want to gush more about it. I, I give this one like a go see it as soon as you can. And uh, how do you feel? Yeah, I highly recommend it. I think if you're in the mood for a good, you know, gory romp that's just fun and, uh, you know, has, has some great actors in it, I think you should definitely go see this one. Yeah, so this comes out on video on demand November 10th, which is stupid since that's after Halloween, but it doesn't really have any Halloween vibes to it. So I feel like if you watch it in November, you'll be fine. Uh, George, you want to introduce this one? Okay, yeah, this is Never Hike Alone. It is a, a more kind of independent movie. It was released on Vimeo and YouTube. It's a fan-made Friday the 13th movie. And it runs about about an hour long, like about 53 minutes, I think. And it's uh, directed by Vincente DeSanti, and it stars Andrew Leahy and Vincent DeSanti. Yeah, I'm, I'm so, you did really well with those names. <laughs> I was just reading it on our note sheet, and I was like, "Fuck, this is like going to be really hard for to read." <laughs> There's, it's spelled really weird, but yeah. So this is a this movie was kickstarted. Uh, it was originally supposed to be 20 minutes long, and when they actually brought it to Kickstarter, they were mostly done with it. But they needed to finish some scenes that required like heavy makeup and visual effects, so they needed more money for that. And they did a really good job at raising money because they raised over like $19,000, I'm pretty sure. And what I thought was really cool about this back when they did the Kickstarter was they were only going to use the money they needed and then donate the rest of it to protect the forest that they filmed the fan film in. That is really cool. Yeah, and I got to be honest, dude, I, I like this movie more than most of the Friday the 13th movies. Yeah, it's... I think... The reason why it came out so good is because it's obviously made by huge fans of the series, and they're able to just cut the fat out of all the movies where, you know, there's not a half hour of, like, in front of the 13th one, there's so many scenes of just, like, nothing going on. They play Monopoly. They make coffee. They do nothing. I mean, it's so much boring <laughs> things that are, like, supposed to build tension but really just come out as being like, why am I watching this right now? And this one kind of cuts a lot of that out and just really gets to the, the conflict and setting the scene for the inevitable c confrontation with uh, Jason Voorhees. Yeah, and I think the reason it works is because it only has two characters, which are Jason and Kyle McClode. I don't yeah. know. Like, okay, here's my gripe with it. You're going to make a movie and you're going to... This guy's last name, this character's last name is spelled... <laughs> M-C-L-E-O-D. <laughs> like, you can pick any name in the world, and you pick this, like, gibber. Like. <laughs> but anyways, so basically what's going on is he's, like, an adventure YouTuber. He's, like, man versus wild, but he yeah. does it with uh, GoPro. And he's going out in the woods to hike for a few days, I guess. And he has sponsorships and everything. And that part is actually pretty good. So that part's kind of set up as found footage, but this is not a found footage movie. No, and uh, I just want to say the the actual character of Kyle is super likable. You kind oh, of yeah. immediately believe him as if he's a, a uh, an outdoorsman kind of vlogger documentarian deal. And 
he's really likable as a character and all the scenes that are found footage where it's like him talking to the camera are really believable like i could probably find a youtube video that's like 90 percent similar to the things that he shot yeah totally like a lot of the stuff from behind the scenes like when he's trying to do his sponsorship part but not sound like he's you know filming an ad right that kind of like hit home because i was like oh we do that every day at work like he, they did a really good job with that and i think this this plays really well on youtube uh this movie and the forest they filmed in where they made this camp crystal lake is awesome it looks really good yeah i thought that all the scenes of the camping and the landscape shots of the lake and you know finding the old camp crystal lake sign and the old campsite with all, where all the murders happened, all that looked like movie quality. Uh, I, I believed that they could go to like the set of one of the older movies, and it would have looked almost identical to that. Yeah, and they were they were pretty liberal with their use of Friday the Thirteenth's name. Like, uh, there's a Camp Crystal Lake sign. There's a Camp Crystal Lake logo in this. Yeah, and they do a good job of putting a disclaimer that this is a fan film that they're not making any money on. Uh, at the very beginning, which I think protects them. So I hope it stays up on YouTube, but it has 20,000 views right now, which I, for just a short film you're dumping on YouTube, that's pretty good. Yeah, and I think it deserves more than that. I hope that they can get some notoriety for this and maybe get involved in making a legit addition to the series, like a real Friday the 13th movie. Yeah, seriously, if they're going to pick anyone to direct a reboot of Friday the 13th, Vincente DeSanti is your guy he he knows the character of jason and he even plays the character of right (laughs) which is awesome and he does a really good job it's one of the best jason faces i've seen in any of the movies i think it's one of my favorites for sure if not my favorite jason face it it even pays homage to uh the friday the 13th part three when he gets the axe in his head he has the big line down the one side of his face where the axe was lodged in there i mean you can tell that they really put a lot of time and effort into having really accurate, thoughtful uh, homages to the older movies. Yeah, it, and they don't show you the whole face. They just show you the like a little glimpse of it, but you see a big chunk, but just enough to freak you out. And I will say, this scared me. I have never been scared by a Friday the 13th movie in my life, but there's some parts in this, man, that actually made me jump. And But... There's also parts where you you know you get that fear that like drives into your heart where you're like, oh, that's yeah. what I got in this movie sometimes. <laughs> and I was like, shit, this is good. Yeah, I mean, it gets really there's some moments that are very, very tense where you're you know, you're following Kyle around and you don't want him to die. It's I think in a, in slasher movies in general, there's a lot of times where you root for the bad guy to kill everyone because you're like, well, all the characters in this movie suck. I prefer that they all die rather than the like you know the main killer. And in this one, it's the opposite, where you want to see Kyle make it to the end. Yeah, totally. I really, I really wanted him to make it to the end, dude. The entire time, he's acted really well. He's written really well. They just did a good job, and they did a good job with the camping aspect in the same way that Ruin Me did. You know, like it felt believable, so that was yeah. cool. Yeah, I thought that having the packs of wild dogs outside the tents and. Him, you know, reviewing the different tools that he's bringing and saying that, like, oh, this, you know, this, there's like a trail over here and it's unexplored. It's weird. It's not on my map. I better go check it out. The the Camp Crystal Lake looked really good. So, yeah, this for free. You can find this for free on Vimeo or YouTube. All you got to do is search Never Hike Alone. And I think the people who made it are Womp Stomp Productions. If you do go watch it and you like it and you're going to share it, 
make sure you mention that we sent you because I want people. I want to see if we can actually get people to see this thing because twenty thousand views is a lot, but I feel like this deserves a lot more than it has, and it's really fucking good. Yeah, I think this is not only a great fan made film, but probably in the top three Friday the Thirteenth movies, and everyone should get a watch if you're a fan of the series. Yeah, and even though Friday the Thirteenth is a summer franchise, which I will take to my grave. <laughs> this this is a good Halloween thing to watch. There's some good fall shots in this one. Yeah, really good setting. Great Jason, great main character. A lot of tense moments. It's very well produced. The video, the effects are great. It's shot on a high quality camera. I, I think there's no reason not to watch it, especially since it's free on YouTube. Yep. So that's going to wrap up segment two. So we did pretty good with that one, I think, on actually liking stuff because we're both very self-conscious about shitting on everything. <laughs> so, I mean, like, we were okay on found footage. We didn't love it. We love Mayhem, and we love Never Hike Alone. So uh, if one of your biggest complaints with our show is that we're not positive on horror movies, there, we just proved that we like them. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break now, and then we will be right back for segment three, which is on The Evil Within 2. Okay, we're back from our quick break, and now we're going to talk about The Evil Within 2, which just released on PS4, Xbox One, and PC on this past Friday the 13th. So if you've never heard of The Evil Within before, it was Shinji Mikami's great return to survival horror. It was produced by Bethesda, so after he left Capcom after making Resident Evil 4 and kind of like not feeling too great about 5 and 6... He went over to Bethesda, started his new studio called Tango Gameworks, made a game that's decent, I would say, like not great, not amazing, just solid. And then uh, John Johannes, who's the director of the two DLC packs for that game, ended up directing this one. And we mentioned last week that it's written by Trent Haga, who we are both big fans of. Mm -hmm. So we've actually both technically gotten to the same point. I've played the first area in my like official release game that I got from Bethesda, but I went to that press event a couple months back, and I actually ended up playing the same part that George just reached. So how do you feel about the game so far? I'm a big fan of it. I think that a lot of the changes that they made from the first one are kind of welcome additions, where... It's definitely a more open open world aspect to it, where you're basically plopped down in this little town that exists within the mind of one of the characters, and it's just very eerie. It sets you up for... It's a very creepy tone to be in this city, where it's just like a bunch of houses that some of them are explorable, some of them aren't, and they're just like these weird, like disgusting-looking monsters everywhere. And you kind of just have to sneak around and collect uh, gear for crafting bullets and upgrading your weapons. And it's, it really does have some tense moments. I know I'm having a ton of times where I'm going into a new house or a new area and I'm thinking, man, I hope I have enough bullets for this because I only have like two clips of, for my handgun and I hope I'll be able to make it through this next area. So you're hitting every point I like there about this game, and it is significantly better than the first one. So the basic plot setup here is that in this world, there's this company called Mobius, and they they can like create this world in a brain. And the person whose brain is creating the world can inhabit this world as well. 
So it kind of, you know, in the first game, they go into this brain world, and that's how they can get away with making the game very scary, because they can literally put anything horrifying in front of your face, and then justify it with, someone had this nightmare, and then that's what you're seeing, this person's nightmare. So the first game's plot is insanely hard to follow, it's like super (laughs) convoluted, but I will give IGN credit, they did a like, Evil Within 1 and 5 minutes video, that if you want to like, skip the first game and play 2... Uh, You can just watch that. But the plot of this game is that the main character, Sebastian, it turns out that his daughter, his little daughter, who he thought was dead, is alive. So uh, after being lied to by his, I guess, sidekick, Kidman, who is another detective who ended up working for Mobius because this is a Japanese game and there's a ton (laughs) of plot threads, she brings him back in (laughs) to the dream world. And I got to say, the biggest inspirations for this are like if you took dead rising four and mashed it up with metal gear solid five does that make sense yeah i i think that kind of hits the nail on the head where it's there's a lot of creatures everywhere and it's but there's a lot of stealth elements also where there's threats around every corner but you can do most objectives in a stealth based way and have to collect different loot for crafting and kind of really analyze every situation before you go into it. You can't really just run into an area guns blazing most of the time because you probably don't have enough ammo to alert like five enemies and have them all run at you at once. You'll just get overwhelmed and you'll die. Exactly. And so this game set up a lot like Final Fantasy 15, where in the first few chapters you're in this little town of Union. And so far what we think is that it funnels you into a more linear path as the game you know, reaches its middle slash end. So the actual part of Union is cool because you wouldn't think that third-person survival horror would mash well with... I just died again. Oh, my God, I'm dying. <laughs> you wouldn't think that survival horror would mash well with a open-world design, but they do just enough stuff to make it interesting to where you can't kind of, like, mindlessly play it. You have to be smart about everything. But they do a really good job of making it engaging and fun and having cool progression systems that actually have real benefits within the game. Yeah, I think uh, splitting up the upgrades into two different currencies was smart because in the first game, there was just the one brain goo where the enemies would drop that and use that to upgrade not only your Was it called brain goo in the first game? I I think it's called green gel. It's called green gel in this one, but me and you have always called it brain goo. (laughs) But that actually sounds like what I thought they called it. I don't think they did now that I'm saying it out loud, but like I thought they called it brain goo. Well, the thing is, the symbol in the first game was, like, a little jar with a brain in it. So that's, I think, why we called it brain goo. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I think it's actually called green gel. And so you use the green gel now in this game to upgrade just your character as a whole. So you upgrade your sneak abilities and your health and your endurance and your combat skills. So, like, you can have less kickback with your weapons and there's less weapon sway. But then you use the weapon parts that you find scattered throughout the world to upgrade your actual abilities with those guns like pistols do 120 percent more damage now and adding different upgrades to the weapons through those instead of having them both use the same currency and i think that is smart and it allows you to upgrade your character more consistently which makes you feel like you're accomplishing more as you play yeah and then on top of the upgrades it has a like gameplay progression system where 
the the more you search around for better loot and the more you you know track side quests and stuff the better you're going to be rewarded for it one thing i really like is closer to the beginning you can find a broken sniper rifle on a roof and if you go through the effort of finding the piece to fix it it totally pays off whereas in a lot of other games like i guess destiny would be an example like the exotic gun quests they're, they feel like chores, but in this game, it feels really cool. Like you, you have a clear path to get somewhere, and to, and then at the end of that path, you did a lot of work to get an item, and that item always feels like it was worth the trouble, which I really like. Yeah, I think that uh, the sniper quest is like a good, uh, a good way to show that, and I hope there's more parts later in the game that kind of show. Uh, where you get something at one point and then you can use it later to get something better or to upgrade yourself in some way because I think that's actually really interesting to be able to find a weapon in one area and then keep through exploration being able to you know reward you for that in some way and they do really reward you in this one for exploration because that's how you get your weapon parts gunpowder all your crafting tools which you really need at all times to craft bullets and get yourself out of most sticky situations right and there's safe houses where you can craft at a safe house on a workbench right you can craft new bullets you can like fix your guns and upgrade them but you can also craft in the field but it uses twice as many parts so you've got to play this like risk reward system at all times where you're like oh i only have this much gunpowder and i can make five bullets but if i could sneak back to the safe house i can make 10 bullets and every bullet makes a difference in this game so it's really cool that you can kind of like play the odds that way it's it, it feels like you know gambling with your life which is i know what they're going for and it's extra punishing but it pays off i think really well yeah, I think the safe houses are a really cool addition to the game because not only do they add a place where you can upgrade your uh, guns and yourself where you can go into uh, Seb's like mind office, I guess, to upgrade your brain. And it, it's, it allows you a place to upgrade. This isn't even upgrade. wrong. <laughs> that's, a, that's a part of the game. Yeah, it upgrade. sounds so dumb, but it's real. <laughs> but... I think it's a good way to have a safe area for you to upgrade your character. And also, um, they have uh, coffee pots now, where every time you find a safe house, there's a coffee pot in it. And if you drink the coffee, it upgrades your, it co completely fills your health bar and it like recharges over time. So it's a good place to just kind of come back to every once in a while to upgrade yourself and, you know, get some health back and kind of it's a good place to come back to like a touching point be like okay i did like two hours worth of collecting things time to go back and upgrade stuff and then i can go back out and do some more exploration yeah and the coffee is not the only twin peaks reference in this game like the first chapter <laughs> it does have a very slow start but that first chapter is very deliberate in what it shows you and there are a ton of twin peaks references in this game which i really liked yeah i think that basically the plot goes really fast for the first three chapters where uh you're kind of like hitting like plot point plot point plot point and then it opens up to chapter four like i think i spent more time in chapter four than i did any other part of the game combined because that was really the point where you get your first couple side quests and your first chance to really kind of see what union's all about and get get your weapons get get a few more weapons you can use and uh kind of your your first place 
in the game where you're kind of off the leash and able to kind of explore the the new mechanics. Yeah, and then once you actually get to the boss fights, the boss design in this game, the first game had pretty good boss design, but this game takes it to another level. You fight this boss, uh, I guess, after you're in Union for a little while, you end up fighting this boss that's like an amalgamation of body parts. Like, her legs are made of five or six legs and then her arms are made of like five or six arms and then she's just like this mass in the middle like a big tumor made of heads and that that part was really cool i really like that boss battle yeah i think the boss fights are definitely a major uh positive for the game a, a major place where they shine because really the first i've only fought like two bosses so far and the one that you're talking about is actually a really cool fight where you're kind of locked down in this front of a like uh, municipal building and you're basically like well I have this many bullets and there's these crates everywhere and I'm being chased by this thing and you can use the environment to interact with the boss in cool ways like there's a big gas like a gas truck that fell over and it's just pouring gas on the ground and if you shoot it then you can light her on fire and then she'll kind of stomp around and smash some boxes which have ammo and then you can go get the ammo and then you can start laying a couple rounds into her and there's dude she hates boxes so much she hates boxes (laughs) so there's like a part if you're running if she's chasing you right which she chases you around the little arena if you run past a box she will stop chasing you to break the box for you which is just like (laughs) hilarious i don't know i don't know why that made me laugh so hard but i was like i was like damn she fucking hates these boxes (laughs) Yeah, that is kind of a weird, like, you, you're you running, and you're it's very tense, and then you turn around, and you just see her, like, like just stomping the shit out of this box, and you're like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, so oh, just... and then the best thing is when she stops it, and then when she's done, her whole body turns, she's like, ding, like an anime. <laughs> she, like, looks at you, and you're like, oh, fuck, I gotta go. <laughs> oh, and then, did, so you know that part? There's a part in Resident Evil 7, if you haven't played it. Sorry, that game came out in January. This is on you. Uh, there's a part where there's you have to look down a hole at a lantern, and then a hand creeps out of a hole, grabs the lantern, and pulls it back. And it's probably the scariest thing I've seen in 10 years in general. And they have a call out to that in this game, where at the very, very, very beginning of the game, there's a part where you see this lady kill a guy, and then you go in the basement, get some loot, find the first safe house. But then when you're leaving the safe house, the guy's body is, like, in the foyer of the house, and then you see it, a hand grab it and then drag it away. <laughs> and you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I, I, I do think the one, one aspect of the game that might be weaker in this one than it was in the first one was I haven't seen a lot of things that are really like really put me on edge and make me scared like i think for the whole first game every time you're in a new area it's scary because you never know how the world is going to like shift in some way and make it like really tough for you i i have had a few moments like that where you know like in the first game there'd be parts where you'd walk through a door and then you'd hear someone talking and be like well like this is like pretty creepy maybe i'll turn around and you turn around the hallway is like now a wall and there's no door there and then you walk forward and the hallway expands to be like it's a hundred miles long and like all this like blood yeah, starts yeah, pouring totally. from the ceiling and stuff. And I, I've seen definitely much less of that in this game so far. I don't know if when it becomes more linear we'll see more of that. But I think that's kind of lacking so far. And I really thought that was a strong point of the first game. Yeah, there's there's a lot of moments in this one. You have to kind of initiate the scary moments, which I think is 
like as you just said worse than the first game but uh one thing that so if you ever see like an opportunity to hit a and stare at something do it but be ready for a really scary moment because i found one where you walk in front of this mirror and then you see him in his outfit from the first game and then he's like obviously in a different outfit because it's a, a different game and he's like that's me from before and then this ghost lady slams the window and is like ah! and it scared me so bad and then she like punches through and he's like fuck so that was what? that's like one jump scare one thing i really like uh about the dialogue in this game is uh seb basically says exactly what you're thinking yes. a lot of times yes when you get into an encounter and you see like a new enemy type or something and it's just like super like oh like you say to yourself like shit i don't want to do this and then seb will be like shit <laughs> like, yeah. like there's a part where he drops his gun and you, you can tell because he's like he's a detective there's no reason a detective should ever like let go of his gun and his gun flies across the room and he like sees it like 10 feet away from him and then he like looks back at the zombie and he's like fuck like, <laughs> like he says it like that like where he's like ah, i just screwed up so bad <laughs> and it's like it's awesome and i think that's a lot of that made it into dead girl which the writer trent hager also wrote dead girl that kind of just meta exactly what you're thinking humor is definitely in this game because of him and i'm so glad they hired him to write it just because of that right i think that's definitely a really strong point um, the, the plot also is more, uh, I guess, like, understandable this time around. Because the first game, you really don't know what's going on at all until, like, no the last two chapters. And the plot kind of comes together. This one at least has a central arc to follow right from the get-go, where there's one bad guy, and you're there to save your daughter. And you kind of yeah. understand exactly why you're there. And in the first game, that was kind of more muddy until near the end of the game the pacing is so bad in the first game it's just <laughs> it's it's a collection of levels rather than a coherent story but this game is very deliberate about telling a story which they took the criticisms to heart so you can't really blame them for that yeah and i think all the other updates they made were all big quality of life upgrades that needed to be made to really make this one stand out so much and i think this one's getting a lot of praise because it's such a huge improvement over the first game in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, and then the pist the sound design is great. The pistol, it has the best like punch of any video game pistol ever. Like it's a pistol which is usually the weakest and yeah, it is the weakest gun in the game, but like every time you hear that thing fire, it sounds like you're like you feel powerful. And then when it hits the bad guys, you can see the like burning hole where it hit them, like it, it smolders for a minute. And like just the the little details that went into this game are so much better because the first game really struggled to even hit 25 frames per second on like the beefiest PCs and PS4. And this game from everything I played on PC has run flawlessly. Like I'm running it in uh, 1440p, 30 frames per second locked at ultra settings on a 1070 and an i5. And it is, it, it chugs a little bit between levels. Like whenever there's going to like be a cutscene that plays. But mm. other than that, it's pretty freaking smooth, especially compared to the first one. Yeah, I'm playing it on uh, my PS4 Pro, and I've I've really only noticed like maybe one or two instances of uh, slowdown, but most it's been a pretty much a butter butter smooth experience for me. Yeah, I heard. Uh, so they're at launch on PS4. There are no PS4 Pro benefits, 
but there are going to be some later on towards when the Xbox One X is launching because they're going to get the same kind of patch that comes mm-hmm. out at the same time. But I don't think it'll really add anything. On regular PS4s, I, apparently it runs really well, like 30 frames, 1080p, uh, very solid, but there are some dips. But on PS4 Pro, uh, it does run a little bit better, but it's still 1080p, 30 frames per second, which... I mean, that's fine. That's significantly better than the first game, which right. ran at 25. <laughs> right. <laughs> and there's no more film grain. There's no more black bars obscuring like 60% of the screen. And the camera is punched in a lot in Sebastian, which there are a few moments where you're in a very cramped area and there's four bad guys and you're like, I can't, I'm, I'm going to fucking die because I can't see two out of four of the guys that are trying to kill me right now. But other than that, it's a lot better just quality of life stuff happening here. Yeah, um, I think that the really up-close combat it struggles with, but I think all the things they added really outweigh any of the negatives. Right, and then so the close-up stuff doesn't really work a lot of the time at the beginning, but I upgraded some things with my stealth part and then just you know the combat portion of upgrading Sebastian, and I did actually see the benefit which I feel like is very rare in upgradable games. So I think that's cool. Yeah, um, I do like the upgrade system. I think stealth is much, much improved over the first game. You are actually able to sneak up on enemies and be able to take them out and kind of sneak through areas way easier and be able... And a lot of times you do have to do that. There are some enemies that won't die in a single hit from a stealth attack but most of the basic enemies do die instantly so if you can get in like two or three stealth kills before an encounter you can make your life way way easier yeah and the first time i encountered one of those was horrifying i was like wait (laughs) i just stabbed you in the back of the head and then they turn around and they're like i'm gonna fucking kill you and you're like yeah "Yeah, you are i'm gonna run (laughs) (laughs) so i mean neither of us have beaten the game yet but I give this an unequivocal buy just because I put a ton of time into it already. And even if I didn't beat it, I would be very positive on the time I've spent with it as of now. Yeah, uh, I love everything that I've played so far. I think I'm about mm, like six and a half hours in and I've just had a blast with the game. I've liked pretty much everything about it. Yeah, and you know, we chastise people for like telling you to go buy Cult of Chucky uh, if you didn't want to see it. But that's a bad movie. This is a really good game that most people are agreeing is good. And if you want more survival horror experiences like this, you should go buy this game. It's kind of different than Cult of Chucky because if you bought Cult of Chucky, you'd get more Chucky movies. But if you buy this game, you'll get more survival horror games as a whole because if AAA survival horror games do well, we just get more survival horror games from AAA publishers, which is what we need. Like, we don't need any more PT clones. We need more advancement in the third-person, uh, you know, survival horror genre. Because Resident Evil, they've got first-person nailed. I hope they stick with it going forward. Tango Gameworks knows what they're doing with the third-person Resident Evil 4-style game. They can handle it. So if you want more survival horror that's AAA, go out and buy this game. It is amazing, and it, it needs to be played by a lot of horror fans, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. All right, so... Uh, we went a little over an hour this time, but I know for a fact I said that we would never go out over an hour and a half, and we are at an hour and 17, so we kept to our word, George. <laughs> yeah, we're not liars yet. 
So as always, the biggest thing you can do to help us out is be like Jeremy, Papa Drew Bear, and Luke, and rate the show on iTunes. It doesn't matter what star rating you give it. It's just it helps us out with getting noticed by the iTunes algorithm if you hit any star or at least like leave a review. And again, you can find us on iTunes. Uh, you can find us on any podcast service you can think of. And now we're on YouTube at youtube.com slash Jimmy Champagne. So uh, if you have any other services you want this on, just let us know. It shouldn't be too hard to get it up there. But you can follow me at Jimmy Champagne. Where can we find you, George? You can follow me on Twitter at George Fazard. And then you can follow our show at Fear Frequency uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook because we got very lucky with the name. So I'm going to close us out this week because George did it last week. This has been episode three of Fear Frequency. Thank you so much for listening, and you never know who also might be listening.